have a few interesting little bits here that's challenging actually and frightening in some ways. There was a report in the Times about hardline takeover of British mosques. Almost half of Britain's mosques are under the control of a hardline Islamic sect whose leading preacher loathes Western values and has called on Muslims to shed blood for Allah. An investigation by the Times has found. Rayyad ul Haq is this man's name, who supports armed jihad and preaches contempt for Jews, Christians and Hindus, is in line to become the spiritual leader of the Diobandi sect in Britain. The ultra-conservative movement which gave birth to the Taliban in Afghanistan now runs more than 600 of Britain's 1,350 mosques, according to a police report seen by the Times. The Times investigation casts serious doubt on government statements that foreign preachers are to blame for spreading the creed of radical Islam in Britain's mosques and its policy of encouraging the recruitment of homegrown preachers. The government thinks that it's foreign imams who are preaching this hatred. But the Times says Mr. Ulhaq, he's 36 years old, was educated and trained at an Islamic seminary in Britain and is part of a new generation of British imams who share a similar radical agenda. He heaps scorn on any Muslims who say that they are proud to be British and argues that friendship with a Jew or a Christian makes a mockery of Allah's religion. Seventeen of Britain's 26 Islamic seminaries are run by this group, the Diabandis and they produce 80% of home-trained Muslim clerics. Many had their studies funded by local education authority grants. The sect, which has significant representation on the Muslim Council of Britain, is at its strongest in the towns and cities of the Midlands and Northern England. Figures supplied to the Times by the Lancashire Council of Mosques reveal that 59 of the 75 mosques in five towns at Blackburn, Bolton, Preston, Oldham and Burnley are led by this group, the Diabandi. You see, we just cannot believe all that our government would have us believe. Quite an amazing situation. Now, I don't know whether you realise that Yom Kippur, the great day of atonement, the holiest day of the Jewish year, occurs this weekend. A time when Jews say sorry to each other and also when all the nation repents before God. It is to the Jew the holiest day of the year, the great day of atonement. It's the start of their, their new year. They say sorry. And I was looking at various ways that people say sorry. I saw a little leaflet 
some always have their apology in the planning stage they're always going to say sorry but never get round to saying sorry some say sorry so often that it's hard to know when they really are sorry because they say it so often people are separated because one refuses to say sorry some are united when that sorry is said some repress saying sorry they just can't get it out some people when they say sorry it's never a complete sorry they always hold something back and some will never say sorry unless the other person says sorry as well some people when they say sorry it it unlocks doors and people are reunited and you know some people sorry needs to be squeezed out of them not a true sorry and some people when they say sorry it's all part of some plan they have they have an ulterior motive in saying sorry but I was looking at scripture when we come to God seeking his forgiveness we need to be open we need to be sincere and we need to be honest David when he wrote Psalm 51 he said these very true and real words for thou desirest not sacrifice else I would give it the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart thou wilt not despise that's the kind of sorry that God wants and God needs from each one of us and from mankind but I thought it's an interesting time they, they, the Jews say sorry to each other but how we say sorry and why we say sorry is the important thing isn't it now let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10 I don't think I'm going to be terribly long today but I'm really afraid to say that let's read the first few verses of Deuteronomy chapter 10 at that time the Lord said unto me hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first and come up unto the mount and make thee an ark of wood and I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables which thou didst break and thou shalt put them in the ark and I made an ark of shittim wood and hewed two tables of stone like unto the first and went up into the mount having the two tables in mine hand and he, that's God, wrote on the tables according to the first writing the ten commandments which the Lord spake unto you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly and the Lord gave them unto me and I turned myself and came down from the mount and put the tables in the ark which I had made 
and there they be. That's a very important little few words there. And there they be, as the Lord commanded me. Again, look how Moses keeps on saying throughout Deuteronomy, as the Lord commanded him. He did what God wanted him to do. Last week, we studied that prayer of Moses at the end of chapter 9, a wonderful prayer on behalf of the people and the glorious words which he said the Lord hearkened unto me also at that time the Lord hearkened unto him and we saw that wonderful prayer and we based our prayers on that type of account we have there in Deuteronomy God will hear our prayers we reminded ourselves that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness not only some but all unrighteousness see God had given Israel also later on a wonderful promise and it applied to them in this particular case but it applies to them in other cases and it applies to you and me in Deuteronomy 29 I know the purposes which I am purposing for you God speaking to Israel I know the purposes which I am proposing for you, says the Lord. Purposes of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Most people in the world want a future and a hope. Not only hope we can have is in Jesus Christ. He says, then shall you call on me, and you shall go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You shall seek me and find me, when you search me with all your heart and I will be found by you says the Lord and I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from the nations and from all the places where I have driven you says the Lord and I will bring you again into the place from where I caused you to be exiled they were truly going to be returned from Babylon. This speaks in the first place about that captivity from Babylon. They were going to be taken away to Babylon for 70 years and then they would call on the Lord and he would bring them back to their land. Looking into the future, it will equally apply to the Jewish nation. When Christ comes again to this earth, the people will be called back from all the nations in which they now are. We can see it starting. Why on earth would anybody want to go and live in Israel? It's going to be a nightmare. But why are all these Jews all wanting to get back to Israel? Because God is starting to draw them back to Israel from these countries where they are exiled. We met a chap in Israel and he had left living in Dublin. Most people would love to live in Dublin, especially at, at this particular time. He said he, he missed going to rugby matches in Lansdowne Road and he, he missed the Guinness. But why should he uproot himself and go to live in Israel? Because God is beginning to call his people back to the land of Israel I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you 
which is equally true of all the sons of Abraham if they earnestly seek God with all their heart then he will reveal himself to them that he is their true Messiah it's equally true of all the sons of Adam that if anyone seeks God truly God will come to them it's true of all mankind if you call upon me I will hear thank God he does during those first 40 days when Moses spent in the mountain God had given him instructions as to the law and as to the building of the tabernacle he had also been given the tablets of stone and then on seeing the sin of the people as he came down the mountain in anger he had smashed them before them, before their eyes retribution against the people followed and then Moses had again ascended the mountain for another 40 days and last week we left Moses up in the mountain with God and then this starts again on verse uh, 1 of chapter 10 at that time around about the same time God had given Moses instructions the Lord said unto me hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first and come up unto me into the mount and make thee an ark of wood presumably this had happened before Moses had gone back up into the mountain again God had told Moses that Ere he left to go up in the mountain to prepare these to hew out two tables of stone like unto the first. Now it's interesting actually that the events in chapter 10 are not in strict chronological order. They're not as they're not in the order necessarily as they happened. For instance the next few verses we read verses 6 to 9 are really a parenthesis they should be in brackets but they're put there to illustrate something as hopefully we'll see uh, next week or so and this type of thing occurs quite often in scripture that events are not necessarily always recorded in chronological order I suppose the, the, the book of Daniel is one of the best examples of this. If you look and read through the book of Daniel, and some critics have criticized Daniel because of this, certain chapters are out of order. And they sort of say, oh, look, this, this is all incorrect. For instance, chapter 5, the feast that is described with the writing on the wall, and that type of thing, Belshazzar's feast that doesn't fit in chronologically as it is in Daniel it, it should really be if you're writing it chronologically would come in sometime after chapter 7 and 8 but the Holy Spirit for some reason has indicated the, the order of scripture and usually there's a reason for it so it's not that somebody's made a mistake the Holy Spirit writing the divine word doesn't make mistakes but the reason is 
some other point needs to be emphasized. But back to, back to this passage. And so this chapter 10, the events recorded do not necessarily need to be in chronological order. And I'll, I'll explain why I'm saying this in a minute. But back to this passage. Did you notice when I was reading those uh, five verses in chapter 10? If you looked at it, the words, the first, the first, are mentioned four times in the five verses. In verse 1, the first. Uh, the two tables of stone like unto the first. Verse 2, and I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables. In verse 3 hewed, I, I hewed, I made an ark of shittim wood and hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And then in verse 4 and he wrote on the tables according to the first writings. All referring to the first tables of stone. The first writings. And there's, a, there's a, a lesson we can learn from this. I want to turn over to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 45 to 49. If you even go back to 44, it is sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. But 45 says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The second, the last Adam, or the second Adam, as it's called in other places, the last Adam was made a living spirit. This is comparing Adam, the first man, with Jesus Christ, who was called the second Adam the last Adam and so it is written the first Adam the first man Adam was made a living soul the last Adam was a life giving spirit but not the spiritual first but the natural afterward the spiritual the first man was out of the earth earthy the second man was the Lord from heaven such the earthly man or the earthy man such also the earthy ones and such the heavenly man such also the heavenly ones and according as we bore the image of the earthy man we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man the first and the second and he contrasts man in his natural state to man in his spiritual state the last Adam is the life giving spirit the first Adam brought sin we don't get the spiritual man first we get the natural man first afterward the spiritual man these verses contrast the first Adam 
man in his sinfulness sinful and earthy with the second Adam the sinless Lord Jesus our Saviour the Son of God heavenly we are born as natural men earthy sinful away from God and that's why it says but not the first spiritual not spiritually the first we are born in sin and shaven in iniquities natural the first we're born after Adam afterward the spiritual man when the Holy Spirit speaks to us when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation then we become spiritual do you understand as we bore the image of the earthy when we go about this world in our natural state we are imitating and living in the earthly region but when we become Christians we are transferred into living in the heavenly everything to do with natural man breaks down all stemming from that line is perversity everything that stems from the sinful first man line is rebellion decay and ruin it's earthy we see this running right through scripture Jeremiah 17.9 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it God looking down on the earth in Noah's time he said and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually that's the way it still is God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination and of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and so we see that Moses had to cast the first tables out of his hands and break them before the eyes of the people the law was a broken instrument and could not bring peace to fallen man why were the first tablets broken because they had totally failed before they had even been brought down the mountain man had broken them and man still constantly breaks the laws of God it showed the people by that dramatic breaking of those tablets of stone very dramatically it showed the people that their covenant was already ruined not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away its stain but Christ the heavenly Lamb, takes all our guilt away a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood and they, the old covenant didn't work and that's why it says in verse 46 of that passage in Corinthians not the spiritual first but the natural afterward the spiritual 
I thought this verse in Corinthians, I thought it was very interesting actually. I don't think I've really taken it in before. We are all born earthy. We're all born natural. First and foremost, we're born sinful. We realize our sinfulness before God and accept his glorious salvation through the second man, his beloved son, we then become spiritual after the second Adam. It's, it's so nice that, it's so lovely. We become spiritual. We become like Jesus. And then it goes on to say, and according as we bore the image of the earthy man. Oh yes, we look out on the world, we see the image of the earthy man all over the place. Sin, wickedness, wars, fighting, breakup of families, children disobedient to birth. It's evident. They bear the image of the earthy man. But it says we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. The first law was broken. The first tablets were broken because man was in ruin. 1 Corinthians 11. Go back a few pages in 1 Corinthians. You have it out there. 11 verse 7. For man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. Man, it says, is the image and glory of God. We should portray the image and glory of God to the people around us, but unfortunately we don't. Man portrays an earthy image throughout the world. Go to Romans, back to Romans chapter 12. Paul speaking to the Romans, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. I don't want you to be like this world. I don't want you to be showing the earthy man in your lives. I want you to be transformed instead and show the spiritual in your lives. And if you go back another few verses to chapter 8 and verse 29 it says I want you to be conformed to the image of his son I don't want you to be conformed to this world showing the earthy man but I want you to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives the second man oh the first the world demonstrates the earthy. But when we become Christians, Paul says, don't be conformed to the earthy, be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should walk like him, we should talk like him, we should think like him. Why can we think like him? Because scripture tells us we now have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us and we have that mind of Christ indwelling us so that we should think like him. We should walk like him. We should talk like him. We should be just like him. And he gives us the power to live like that. 
Let's get back to chapter 10 of Deuteronomy. But to get the message, there was the first man and the second man. There were the first tablets and the second tablets. The first were broken. We have, as we said, a picture of Moses as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he wasn't the Lord Jesus. There were types. All the prophets, every prophet in scripture, in the Old Testament, in some way demonstrates something about the Lord Jesus Christ. We go through them all, but something about each of them demonstrates what the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be like when he came on this earth. And we have a picture here of Moses. We said last week he was the mediator. He was between the people praying on their behalf to God. Jesus Christ is the mediator of of our access into, into heaven, into the Father's presence. The one God and one mediator between God and man. There are aspects of these prophets' lives that help us to see something more about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Moses came down from the mountain with these two tables of stone the second time. And he was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who could carry the new covenant unbroken. Unbroken. The two tablets were in his two hands and he carried them down the mountain. I was thinking about this hands of the Lord Jesus Christ were nailed to a cross for you and for me it was a clear demonstration that his hands being nailed to a cross was a most solemn indication to the world man was under the curse of a broken law but Jesus Christ became a curse for us to deliver us from the curse of that law the two tablets written by God were taken down the mountain by Moses and placed in the ark and then it says and there they be there they be they were taken down the mountain these two perfect tablets of stone this time and Moses placed them in the ark of the covenant what does that teach us why why were they put into the ark why did they not just keep them just in the tabernacle or, or eventually in the tabernacle now I said the events in this passage may not necessarily be chronological there seems little doubt that the ark into which these two tables of stone were placed was the ark of the covenant In fact, if you look at Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews 9 and verse 4, it tells us what was in the Ark of the Covenant. There were a few things placed in the Ark of the Covenant. When the Ark of the Covenant was made, eventually, they placed various things into it. What were the three things in the Ark of the Covenant? Hebrews 9 and verse 4. There were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. And that stood in the most holy place 
of the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna. The golden pot that had manna. Aaron's rod that budded. And the tables of the covenant. Those are the three things which were in the ark. God had told Moses to place the tables of stone in the ark. Now, we know from scripture that the ark of the covenant speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. The Ark of the Covenant. And there were three things in it. The pot of manna. And that speaks to us of the bread of life, doesn't it? Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He is the one who, upon whom we feed day by day. He said, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall not hunger. And so they put the pot of manna in there as a, a memorial. But it speaks to you and to me that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And then there was Aaron's rod that put it. Remember there was, a, there was an argument as to whether Aaron was the rightful high priest. And they, they, the ones who were against him, they, Moses said you all have to get a rod and we put them out in the morning and we look and see what happens and Aaron's rod that old wizened rod that he had been using burst forth into flower and bud and fruit and that was taken and put in to the Ark of the Covenant as a perpetual memorial that Jesus Christ is our great high priest it just proved to everyone that Aaron was the rightful high priest. And Jesus Christ is our high priest. And that rod was put there as a memorial to God and the wonderful miracle that he had performed in showing that Aaron was the rightful priest. Our Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And the rod was put into the ark. And the tables of the covenant. The law was put in to the ark. And what does that tell us? Within the ark, the Lord, our Saviour, is the unbroken law of God. He came to this earth. The Lord Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled all the requirements of that law he was sinless oh he was sinless but that law demanded the death of those who had broken that law he hadn't broken that law mankind had broken that law you and me we break that law daily he was the only one who could suffer 
and satisfy the just punishments of a righteous God for the broken law he was made sin for you and for me he who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him the broken law oh yes the original broken law Moses broke them and they were strewn across a wild and barren wilderness a symbol of man's failure and utter ruin on this earth look at the world today the broken law of God is evident in man in this world in the sin of the world as I said before wars and rumors of wars fighting uh, rebellion in families and children uh, are prisons fuller than ever they were we see it all over the broken law lies strewn across the wilderness of this world the unbroken law the second tablets hidden in the second Adam the Lord Jesus Christ sets out plainly for all to see that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes it's a wonderful picture and then it says and there they be that's where they're hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ and those who have broken that law can come to him who has satisfied a righteous God and receive forgiveness of sins as Paul said when he wrote in, in Romans I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith by faith we can come into that living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because in him is that unbroken law God has been satisfied with the sacrifice of his son you know there's a wonderful passage in Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 17 this is all looking at the fact that the, those few verses had the first the first mentioned four times the first law which was broken and we have the first Adam who was sinful and we have the second law which is hidden in Christ the new covenant we have a new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ and it's in his blood For you know that afterward, verse 17 of chapter 12, that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected. For he did not find any place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears. And then it goes on. For you have not, and this is referring back to that fearful scene when God revealed himself and gave the original law, the ten commandments, he spoke them out to the people. For you have not come to the mountain that might be touched and that burned with fire. 
nor to blackness and darkness and tempest. That's what it was like. There was this lightning and thunder and clouds and shaking of the earth. You've not come to the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. Whose voice they who heard begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure the thing commanded. And if so much as a beast should touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so fearful was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Oh, God was demonstrated in all his holiness and his power and his might. And the people couldn't stand it. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are written in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus. We have come to Jesus. The mediator of the new covenant. Moses was the mediator between the children of Israel and God. And God answered his prayer. And Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Well, it's a warning that we obey the voice of God. For if they did not escape who those who refused him that spoke on earth, much more we shall not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Get the picture. The voice from heaven shook the earth. But now he has promised saying. Yet once more will I not only shake the earth. But also the heavens. And this word yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken. As of things that have been made. So that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, therefore, and this is the important thing, since we, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Oh, he's saying to these people, you know, we, the, the original Israelites came to a mountain which was frightening. But we have come to the Lord Jesus Christ who is the mediator of the new covenant. And we can have access into God's presence through him. They desired that Moses would speak on their behalf. And as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ he did speak on their behalf. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ who is the mediator. The, the way to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will hear and answer our prayers. But then he goes on to say, our God is a consuming fire. Oh, we hear so much today in the world 
that God is a God of love and he is a God of love I was listening to a service this morning and they talked about the the unconditional love of God man in his sinfulness is under the wrath of God we can only enjoy the unconditional love of God when we come in simple contrite faith to him and accept the salvation through his son and then that wrath of God transfers from me to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his death at Calvary and we are in the presence of a God who loves us not a God whose wrath is lying upon us mankind needs the love of God but they need salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and then they are relieved from the wrath of God and God's love shines upon us day by day wonderful uh, position we are in as Christians and so just in summary going back to chapter 10 of, of uh, Deuteronomy just a picture here of the two things the old tablets the old law which lies broken trodden under the foot of man often wondered what happened to them did they just lie there broken were the people afraid to go near them the law was broken and it's been broken day by day by this world as shown by the way it acts and behaves towards the living God they need to remember that our God is a consuming fire but the new covenant hidden in Jesus Christ unbroken he has fulfilled all the righteous demands of a righteous God and through him God's love shines upon us day by day.